Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. So we've been in a series focus where we've been talking out of Hebrews chapter 12, where the Hebrew writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's been the, the call. That's the, that's the invitation of the Hebrew writer. So when we grow weary, when we start losing heart, what he's telling us is that we need to focus in. Focus in on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Focus in on Jesus and who he is, right? And so a lot of us, you know, when, you know, when we're discouraged, when, things are, when we're struggling, when things are not what, what we want them to be, what we want oftentimes is comfort, right? And I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. We want comfort, but what we really need probably is courage, now, those two aren't mutually exclusive. It doesn't mean that one, you, if you have one, you can't have the other. You can have them both, right? But comfort looks more, they just look different. Like comfort looks more like somebody coming alongside you, putting their arm around their shoulder, kind of like Pastor Wayne does, you know, when he comes and he puts his arm around you and you feel like squeeze. Okay, you don't feel it. Anyways, uh, so you, where you come, you get that, that shoulder, you know, and in a, in a reassuring voice tells you, you know, hey, I know things are hard. But you're going to make it. You're going to make it through it. Just, just stay steady. You're going to make it. That's comfort. But courage is when somebody grabs you by the shoulders and says, listen, don't quit now. The, yes, things are hard. Yes, things are difficult. But don't quit now. Engage in your faith. Engage in your trust in Jesus Christ. Engage in what you've learned. And don't quit. Get to running this race. And that's really been the challenge of this whole series is have courage. Have courage. But telling somebody to have courage is like telling somebody who is sick, feel better. Like it sounds good and it's nice words and you might say thank you for saying that. But <clears throat> what does it do for you, right? What does somebody saying feel better do for you? Well, you see, courage needs to, be, needs to come from somewhere. Courage is founded in something, right? It's not enough just to say have courage because when they say have courage, you say, well, okay, how? Where does courage come from? Where do I get courage? I remember when I was in high school, I was in, um, in a program in high school called JROTC. It's Junior Reserve Officers Training Corps, which is the high school version of the college idea of ROTC, and, uh, I, you know, I was totally, and I was in a high school in Panama called Balboa High School, and it was, uh, it was in the canal zone, the Panama Canal Zone, while, when there was a canal zone. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it, and I, got, I totally got into it. Like, I was, I was crazy about making sure that all my brass was shining, my boots were spit shine, you know. I had to, they were, all the, all the, uh, all the different things were in the right spot. You had to measure. I literally pull out a, a little tape measure just to measure, make sure that they were at the right distance. They had to be at this exact spot. I mean, I totally got into this thing, ROTC. I even joined something called the, uh, the rifle drill team, which is the, if you've ever heard of the, if you've ever heard of the, uh, this, Marine Corps silent drill team. Have you seen this Marine Corps silent drill team? One person. Wow. Okay, two people, three people. Good. All right. Well, it wasn't like we weren't them, <laughs> that's for sure. But it was like that, right? I have a picture actually I found on the, on the website. Uh, this is a picture I found on the website of yearbooks from back then. 
And, and I'm, actually, I'm actually in this picture, but you really would, I'd have to show you who I am in the picture because you won't believe that it's me. Because it's this beanpole skinny guy right here. That's, that's actually me. I know you don't believe me because I don't look like that anymore, but that is actually me, you know? And so I was totally into this thing, you know? All the other students are walking by just laughing at all these, all these ROTC cadets, you know? And, and then I also joined something called the, the Ranger Team, which, you know, uh, to be very honest and transparent with you, I joined it because I wanted to wear the black cordon. You know, you wear, in your uniform, you had these cordons to identify what you're in, and I wanted to wear that, you know, but then it was cool. I just totally got into it. One summer, we had these jungle exercises we were supposed to do. You had to graduate from the into the ranger team. You had to do these jungle exercises where you would, you go into this jungle area, and you had to kind of survive. It was like a survival course for three days, and, uh, and so, you know, I got all excited. You know, all of us cadets were just talking a big game, like, we're, we're going to do this. We can do this. This is no problem. I mean, we were full of confidence, now, we've never done it before, but we were full of confidence. I mean, we were, we were like, this is going to be a breeze. This is going to be easy. And then the cadres would come, and they'd tell us, like, what we're going to do. And one of the things in, in, in the discussion at the beginning, before we went out to, the, to this jungle area, uh, they, would, they said, well, listen, you can't take any food, any snacks with you. Thank you. You can't take any food or snacks with you. And uh, all you can eat is what, uh, what you kill. <laughs> We're a bunch of high schoolers, you know. <laughs> and, so, and so immediately some guys are like, wait, what? We can't have any, any food? We're going to starve to death in three days, you know. And, and it was funny because this was not a very good sign, actually. We were already wimping out because we didn't have snacks to eat. <laughs> what was it going to be like over the next... Three days, right? And then he goes on, he says, I'm not kidding, Kadri looks at us, he says, okay, so you got to set up your camp, you got to set a perimeter, make sure you have some guards, because the enemy is out there. That's exactly what he said. The enemy, we all go, <laughs> I laughed like it was a joke, but he meant it. The enemy is out there. I'll see you in three days. And then he just dropped us off and left us. And uh, after a little bit of squirming, because like, we're like, we're just kids, that's what we're thinking, but we're trying to talk a big game. So we talked, our, psyched ourselves into it, you know, and um, telling ourselves, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, you know. And so we went to bed that night, and around 2 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden there was all this shouting and screaming and what sounded, I think it was just like pop, like crap, you know, like, uh, I don't know what you call them, pop, like pop guns, you know. It felt like small arms fire, you know, going on and we're just, we're freaking out. We get out of our tents, you know, and, and, and I look out and I, I actually see these like real adult soldiers coming out in the jungle, you know, with all the camo on and face painted and all that. And man, I saw, when I saw that, I looked over and I saw my little play, gun, play M16 there. And I'm like, instinct kicked in. And I ran away like a little baby. <laughs> I just took off. <laughs> I think as I was running away, I was pass, passing a tent. And I think I heard one of our fellow friend, friend cadets say, Mom, is that you? Mom, is that you? <laughs> Oh, man. Well, it was, it was all a big thing, you know. They were trying to just give us a big scare. They came in. They actually brought food, and we had a good time after that. But what I learned that day, here's what I learned that day, is that courage is only as good as the confidence behind it. 
I know those are just words. You probably wonder what those were. But listen to the words. Courage is only as good as the confidence behind it. And the fact is, is I didn't have any real confidence. I mean, I had confidence. We psyched ourselves up. We can do this. But I didn't have any confidence because I didn't have any real combat training. I didn't have any real, you know, military training. And so as soon as my, as soon as my courage got tested, my confidence went away. I lost my confidence. Courage is only as good as your confidence. So where does courage come from? Courage comes from confidence. But our confidence and our courage, listen, our courage is only as strong as the legitimacy of our confidence. So where's your confidence? What's your confidence in? And I think the Hebrew writer is addressing that with these, with these very persecuted Christians. I mean, they're facing life and life is tough and he wants them to be confident. And so the theme, as we talked about last week, the theme of this book is, a, is the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is supreme. And we, we, we I, you know, our words for it, Jesus is better, right? Jesus is better. And so because Jesus is better, your confidence can be in him. And if your confidence is in him, then you can have courage to actually run the race that you're in right now. Where is your confidence? So when we say take courage, you know, as Christians, you hear me talking about it this last three weeks about courage, courage, courage. When we say take courage, it's not just a pep talk. It's not just a halftime speech. It's not me just turning on the soundtrack for Rocky and say, hey, let's, let's get all psyched up with the Rocky soundtrack. When we say take courage, what we're saying is that Jesus is better and you can put your confidence in him. It's in him, not in you. Your confidence is in him. And so we need to understand that real courage requires real confidence. Real courage requires real confidence. Not psyched up confidence, not pretend confidence. Real courage requires real confidence. Another way to say that is when we have confidence in the competence of Jesus, we will find the courage to not give up. When we have confidence in the competence of Jesus. What do I mean by that? When we have confidence not in our competence, not in my abilities, not in my strengths, not in my talents. When my confidence is in his competence, I will be able to find courage to live this life and to run this race. <clears throat> it's not in ourselves. It's it's a confidence that's in Jesus. So these Christians, they used to have that confidence. He's talking, these, this Hebrew writer is talking to these Christians. They used to have that confidence. That's how they live. They, they, they've experienced this. They, they know what it's like. And now he's reminding them of the confidence that they used to have. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, he's reminding them of this. He says, remember Remember those earlier days after you had received the light? Remember when you first became a follower of Jesus Christ? When you endured in, great, in a great conflict full of suffering? Remember when you first became a Christian and there was all this, all this attack, all this suffering going on around you? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. The culture didn't like you. They made fun of you. And maybe some of you understand that. Maybe that's where you've been. Maybe you're, maybe you're a silent Christian at work because you've had enough people just mock your, your faith. And so this Hebrew writer says, remember that? Remember when 
you first became a follower of Jesus Christ and you, you, you did suffer. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were, were, were so treated. Sometimes it happened to you. Sometimes it happened to a friend. Sometimes it happens to your kids. Sometimes it happened to a member of your life group. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully. What words here? You suffered, in the same sentence, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew. So what is he, what's he saying here? What's he trying to tell us here? He's saying that, look, suffering may be a part of your life, but you have an ability to navigate this Christian faith with joy, with confidence, with courage, even when all of these things are happening. You accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that, you're, that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So he says, remember how it used to be. You used to have confidence. You lived courageously. You were thrown in prison. And Jesus was better than prison. People came along. They took your stuff. Jesus is better than your stuff. You knew this. But now you're beginning to lose that confidence. And so in verse 35, he implores him. He says, do not throw away your confidence. And that's really the idea for us today. In fact, I think that some of you walked in here this morning and you need to hear this because you're on the edge of throwing away your confidence. You're on the edge of throwing your hands up and say, yeah, God, I don't know. I'm not in this anymore. And God has you here this morning so you get reminded of the faith that you once had, the courage you once had, and that you do not need to throw away your confidence. So as Hebrew writer says, don't throw it away. Come back to it, right? Like he's saying, like, remember the confidence you used to have before you started dating that guy? Remember the confidence you used to have before you started seeing that girl? Remember the confidence you used to have before you took that job? Remember the confidence you used to have before you, you went off to college and, you know, professor so-and-so started saying all kinds of stuff and now you're not sure anymore? Remember the confidence you had? He says, don't throw that away. Life can be hard. There's a lot of challenges in life. But don't throw away your confidence. I think a couple ways that we, that we throw away our confidence is that first is we consider our circumstances rather than considering Christ. We consider our circumstances rather than considering Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 12, this passage that we've been reading, this is our, sort of our launch pad passage, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. In verse 3 it says, consider him. Consider him. Like think about him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that, that's a transition word, right? It's telling us, do this so that this can happen, all right? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So my question to you is, have you been weary? Have you been losing heart? Have you been throwing your hands up and saying, I just quit, I give up? I just can't do it anymore. The Hebrew writer is saying, listen, this is what you do. Consider him. Consider him. Consider him. For some of you, life hasn't turned out the way you, that you wanted. I mean, you, you thought that by now things would be better, right? Like you'd have a better job. You'd have a better marriage. Your, your, your financial situation would be better. Your, your edu, your educa- your, you would have that degree by now, but it's been so many years you thought it would be better, and so what happens is time begins to pass, and all you're thinking about is the stuff that you're going through. 
You're considering that and not so much considering Jesus. And I think that's the trap that we fall into, right? Is that we, we, we're navigating through life and all we can think about is all this, the difficulties and the challenges of life. And somehow or another, Jesus just gets smaller and smaller in our estimation, in our view. Because all we can see is it's just hard. It's hard. My marriage is hard. My financial situation is hard. My kids, man, they're just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's so hard. And we think about that, and we think about that, and we think about that, and we forget to consider Christ. So the Hebrew writer says here, listen, instead of considering your circumstances, instead of considering your problems, instead of considering all of those things, consider Christ. Now, that word consider can mean a couple different things. It can mean to contemplate. It can mean to compare. And so the idea is that you compare what you're going through to what Jesus went through. In all ways, in all parts of life. I mean, Jesus, obviously, he went to the cross. He died on the cross. He suffered tremendously. So when we suffer, we can always compare ourselves to that. But how did Jesus deal with, with opposition? How did Jesus deal when, you know, he's in the, in the public square and he's teaching and people get, the Pharisees get mad and they want to stone him to death and so he manages to slip away? We compare ourselves to that. When we do that, we can find courage in that. It gives us perspective. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. His name is Joey Lee. He's an ultramarathon. I've got a picture of him right here. <clears throat> That's him right there. He's a little bit older now. But <clears throat> Joey Lee runs these ultramarathons. Now, honestly, I'm, I, don't, I just found this. I, I had to look it up because I don't subscribe to Triathlete Magazine. <laughs> Like, like if you said, like if you said, hey, you need a, we're gonna, we're gonna run five miles. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm not running. If, if you had said a hundred yards, I might have done that, but I'm not gonna run five miles. You know, these guys run hundreds of miles. These ultra marathons, very long marathons. And so Joey Lee, he ran the. It's a, I don't remember the name of it, but it's a, a marathon that runs through the Sahara Desert. It's a 150 mile mar- ultra marathon. 150 miles. I typically, when I see these magazines, you know, and there's people like that, I'm like, yeah, that guy's crazy. Why would he run? (laughs) You know, you can walk. You don't have to run. I already have bias towards people that run anyways. I don't like to run a lot myself. And so when you run a marathon, I already think you're crazy. When you run an ultra marathon, I, I think you're like really, really crazy. And that's who this guy was. But he is what he is. He's an ultra marathoner. He's got his stories on the cover of this magazine because um, it's a very compelling story. He got married, and right after he got married, his wife found out that she, that she had cancer. I don't remember, recall the kind of cancer she had. And so for four years, she suffered with cancer, and he ultimately passed away. And so a year later, he made the decision to run this marathon in, in, in honor of her, raise money for the Cancer Society. You know, he was wanting to, you know, to honor his wife, his former wife who had passed away, to raise money. So he went to this, this marathon. This marathon, this ultra marathon of 100 in the Sahara, it's like, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. Temperatures of 120 degrees. And so they start running, and after the first day, a third of the runners, a third of the runners have to be airlifted out because it's, it's, so, it's so brutal. By the 80th mile, hear what I just said. He had been running for 80 miles, took several days. By the 80th mile, his shoes had totally disintegrated. And so he's running, and he's got these blisters going on in his feet, and he finally makes it to the finish line, and they asked him at the finish line, they said, how... 
how did you endure? Like any normal person would have given up. Every, any normal person, after running 80 miles, you could have said, hey, I've ran 80 miles, I'm out. But he didn't. He went all the way to the end, 150 miles. How did you endure? I love his answer. He says, I was thinking about Allison a lot, his wife who passed away. He says, this is nothing, what he endured is nothing compared to what she went through. And so every step of the way was hard, but he, instead of thinking and focusing in on the hardships that he was going through, he had Allison in his mind. And he said to himself, if she could do it, I can do it. So you compare. Is Jesus better than what I'm going through? What are you going through right now? What are you wrestling through right now? What is your challenge? And just, just simply ask yourself, Jesus, are you, you're better than this, right? Right now is a March Madness. How many of you do brackets before the tournament starts? Yeah, get your brackets all set up. You, uh, you decide who's going to win the championship, who's going to be the NCAA b basketball champion, the team that's going to be the champion, the college champion. And, uh, and so you, you, know, you, you set it up. You, you, maybe you start off with 32 teams. I don't know if you go that far, but maybe you start off with 16 teams. And then you go through this exercise in setting up your brackets. You, you have all your teams together, and then you start deciding what slots do they fit into. And you have to decide, you know, like who's the worst team here? You know, put them on the lowest seed, and then... Who's the highest seed? Put them on there and then start mixing and matching them all to, to you bring them down. And you, it's a comparison game, right? Is this team better than that team? Is this team better than that team? And then as, as you decide that, you say, okay, this team is better than this team, so they're going to win. They're going to go to the next bracket. Okay, this team is better than this team. They're going to win to go to the next bracket. And you finally end up with your final four. Well, that's pretty much what Hebrews is all about. Hebrews is about comparing Jesus to everything else. So, is Jesus, you know, the Hebrew writer, he writes, is Jesus or the prophets? Who's better? You can say it. Jesus, right? Jesus or the prophets? Jesus. Jesus or Moses? Jesus, right? Jesus or Joshua? Jesus. Jesus or the law? Jesus or the old covenant? And so let's just string that along further for our, for our sake and say, okay, Jesus or my past failures. Okay, you were like weak on that one. Like, oh yeah, Jesus and the law of Jesus, you know, but Jesus and my past failures, I don't know about that one. That's where you were. Let's go back. So Jesus and my past failures, who's better? Jesus. Amen. Jesus and what I'm currently going through, who's better? Amen. Jesus and my fear of the future and what might be in the future, who's better? Jesus. Jesus. That's essentially what the, the Hebrew writer's doing. He's saying we can have confidence in Christ because Jesus is better. He was competent. He was capable. He's lived an example, so we compare ourselves to him, and when we do that, we gain perspective. Another way that I think we throw away our confidence is we confuse confidence in ourselves for confidence in Christ. We confuse confidence in ourselves for confidence in Christ. We get those confused. And I don't think we do that on purpose. I think in our, in our culture, in our Western culture, we have discipled ourselves to, to think of courage as self-made. Like courage and 
self-confidence are kind of synonymous in our Western culture. Like if you could just be self-confident, then you can do anything in the world you want, right? And we get confused, and that's, that's fine, because it works for a while, right? You know a lot of self-confident people, it seems like they really advance along in, in, in life, until, until that confidence gets really tested. Kind of reminds me of American Idol, right? You see American Idol, some of these contestants, they come on American Idol, and they are confident, they are confident. You should hear them. The interview, the pre-audition pre, pre you know, audition interviews, man, they're talking about how their mama said that they're the best singer in the world and they're going to win the American Idol and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And then they get in front of the judges and it gets tested and the confidence falls away. And for many of us, we've had this self-confidence, right? Then it got tested, Like we were confident that our marriage was going okay until your wife said, hey, I'm leaving. We were confident that we had this addiction under control, but then you fell one more time. Self-confidence. <clears throat> it really works until it gets tested, right? And so when you find out when it gets tested, you find out that your confidence isn't real, right? And when that happens, courage seems to disappear. So the Hebrew writer is saying that, like, don't put your confidence in yourself because eventually it's gonna get tested and it's gonna fall short. And when that happens, we throw away our confidence. All right, when that happens, we're like, okay, I'm out, you know? I've, I've, I've failed in my marriage too many times. I've failed as a husband too many times. I've failed as a wife too many times. I've, I've just failed God so many times. I'm just out of here. Because you think, you think that the way to do this is by having confidence in yourself. I think that describes a lot of us in this race, right? We're running the race. We're feeling good about it. We have these, this confidence. We have a lot of great ideas about how our, our life is supposed to turn out. But then things, you know, get tough. And we just throw up our hands and we quit, right? In Hebrews uh, chapter 10, the Hebrew writer is trying to talk about how we can have confidence in Jesus and that he's better even than our failures. And in, in verse 19, it says, we have confidence. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So the Hebrew writer says, you and I, okay, he doesn't qualify this. He doesn't say, um, you know, if you're, if you're six foot one and you're handsome or whatever. He doesn't say that. He's just talking to us, all of us. He says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Not because we've done anything, but because what God has done, right? We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. We have this confidence now, right? To go to God, to go to the throne room of grace. Not because of what we've done. It's not a self-confidence thing. It's not a self-made courage. It's because of what he has done. We have this confidence to go to, the, to, to, to enter in, right? And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance, or you can use the word confidence there, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from, the, from, the, from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, I think oftentimes 
when we sin, guilt can rob us of our confidence. It robs us of the courage to move forward. And so Jesus, by way of shedding his blood, he dealt with our guilt. He dealt with it. He, he, it's, not, it's, not, it's not my competence, it's his competence, so he dealt with my incompetency. And you understand this, we all understand this, too many of us have tried, we've tried, we've tried, we've tried to live this Christian faith. We've, we work really hard, you know, and then we try, and then, you know, and then it just, we seem to fail. And through the, cro- through the cross, Jesus has dealt with our incompetency, because he is competent, because he is able. There's a phrase in the Bible that we find that's used very often, it's the, it's the phrase, take heart. Take heart. Oftentimes it's translated as be courageous, you know. But if you look at the context when this, this phrase is used, take heart, when you look at the context, almost always, almost exclusively, it's used not as take heart because you have all the power to do this. That's not how it's used. It's used more like take heart because God can do it. So an example of that is Gideon in Judges chapter 6, uh, you know, He's also, in, Gideon's also in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, he's one of the, he, he had no confidence, Gideon. And yet he's recognized as one of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He's hiding out in fear. The Midianites have overrun the Israelites. They're like, you know, they're, 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 they're terrified. In fact, mo- m- many of the Israelites were hiding in caves. They're just terrified of the Midianites. And an angel shows up to Gideon and says to Gideon, Gideon, I, God wants you to save your people from the, from the oppression of the Midianites. And Midian's response is, what, me? I can't do this. Like, my tribe is the smallest of all the tribes. He has no confidence no confidence whatsoever. And God doesn't say to Gideon, come on, Gideon, you can do this. You can do it. He doesn't say, Gideon, you just, just got to believe in yourself. That's not what he says. This is what he says to him. Gideon, take heart because I will be with you. That's where your confidence comes from. Not because you can muster it up. Not because you work it hard at it but because he is with you. So we don't confuse that, right? The call of following Jesus is not, you can do it, try harder, be more determined. You've got this, it's not what it is. You gotta believe in yourself. The call of following Jesus is that it's not your strength, it's his. It's not your competence, it's his. It's not your confidence, it's his confidence. In fact, in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 5, it says this, a very familiar phrase, we know this. He will never leave us or forsake us. How many of you have ever quoted that one? He'll never leave us or forsake us, right? What's interesting is that in verse 6, if that is true, he will never leave us or forsake us. This is what he says. So say with confidence. If he will never leave you or forsake you, then say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And I think that's what some of you need to do here today. You need to say this with confidence. In fact, I want you to just repeat it with me, right? Seriously, I want you to say it out loud. If you're here struggling with confidence, and I don't mean self-made confidence. If you're here struggling, wondering, am I really going to make it? Am I ever going to survive? Am I ever going to make it through this thing? The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. Amen. Let's say it out loud. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. 
You might have to say that again and again and again until you can say it with confidence because he is your helper. That's what it means. When the Bible talks about taking heart, that's what it means. I take heart because I know that I can't do it, but God, I know you're with me, and therefore I will be able to do it. Amen? In John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and uh, his time on earth is coming to an end. He's, he's going. He's going to be crucified soon. And he's talking to them a little bit about heaven. He's talking to them a little bit about the troubles that they're going to be facing. Then he goes on and he says in verse 33, I've told you these, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I've told you these things so you don't get caught off guard when a pandemic strikes. And you throw up your hands, oh no, the world's coming to an end. Told you these things so that me, you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. How many of you know that 2020 has reminded us that we will have trouble in this world? Amen. But then he says this, but take heart. Okay, how do I take heart? Why do, what, what's, the, what's the foundation for taking heart? What's the foundation for having courage? I have overcome the world. So Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And so the Hebrew writer tells us, don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. You can have confidence. You can have courage to run this race. You can. But it's not because you make it happen. It's not because you, 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 you muster it up. It's not because you go and you have these mantras where you tear yourself over and over again the same thing. You're good enough, you're good enough, you're good enough. My courage comes from my confidence that is set in the competence of Jesus Christ. He endured the cross. He came out victorious on the other side of the cross. So that means that anything, absolutely anything that you go through, you too can come out victorious on the other end. Because my confidence is not in me, it's in him. Amen? Let's all stand. We're gonna pray. Next week is Easter, <clears throat> and um, Easter is a great opportunity for us to reset. In fact, for those of you that are here, I don't know, this is, uh, just, just, just came to mind. Uh, there's still a lot of angst and nervousness about gatherings and all of that, you know, and and some of this stuff is very understandable, very real. So I'm not, not, trying, to, I'm not trying to talk against anything at all. But, but I want you to hear me when I say this. I think that this is an opportunity for us. Easter's rolling around the corner. It's an opportunity for us to say, Jesus, I want it to be new. I want it to be brand new. I'm ready. I'm willing. God, just use me. My confidence and my courage is not in me. God, it's in you. And so I'm giving my life over to you. And in fact, you can do that even right now. Some of you in this room, you've been struggling with your marriage. You've been struggling with your Christian walk. You've been struggling. And so much of that struggle has to do with you're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to do it in your own strength. You're trying to be uh, that, that self-made man or that self-made woman. And the fact is, is that you cannot do it on your own. You need him. And so he says, hey, take heart. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So when you're struggling, when you're going through the challenges, just lean into me. 
Amen? I'm going to pray for you. We have our prayer teams are in the back there. After we pray, I encourage you to go, and you can pray with them. But uh, if you're here this morning and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, as I'm praying, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I press the reset button. I start brand new. Amen? Let's pray. Father, just want to thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. I thank you, Father, that you're in this place, that you're moving, that you're stirring our hearts, that you're calling us, Father, to a confidence not in ourselves, not something mad-made, not something that I can come up with, Father. You're calling us to a confidence in you, Jesus. That allows us, Father, to, to a family like, like, like the Valencia family will go all across the world, Father God, in faith to learn a language and do all those things, Father. Not because they are competent, not because they have the capacity, Father, but because you have called them and you are with them. In the same way, Father, you can walk across the street with us. You can walk into our marriages, Father. You can walk into our financial world. You can walk into our office space, God. You are with us. And so today, Father, we just give you our hearts, we give you our lives, we surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.